Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pace of Performance Bite Size. So this clip for 12 to 15 minutes comes from an episode with Keith Barr, which is one of the most listened to episodes ever of the Pace of Performance podcast, diving into tendons. But just before we do that, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So Rock Daisy have the only free AMS on the market. And if you're like me in working in an organization that didn't have loads of budget, but you want to collect good quality data, uh, RPEs, wellness, etc., and you want to visualize it and get it to the place that it's needed with coaches, definitely check out AMS Lite by Rock Daisy as it will solve so many of the problems that you may be finding using Excel or Google Sheets. If you want to check them out, rockdaisy.com. We kicked off with that big question, but I want to dive down into into tendons and, and spend probably the next next hour into uh, into that rabbit hole, if that's all right. But to kick us off, a, a dumbass guide, as I described it earlier, about the role of the tendon, the function, and how they actually adapt, if that's all right. Sure. So, cool. so I think the best thing to do is to start off by looking at tendons and ligaments, because these two things are, are often grouped together. And they're, the reason that they're grouped together is they're structurally very similar. They're at least 70% type 1 collagen, and that collagen is supposed to be aligned along the line of force. In a ligament, you've got more than one direction of force sometimes, so you get maybe a little bit different alignment than you would do in a tendon. And what we've got in these structures are collagen protein, and that collagen protein is cross-linked together, and that cross-linking is going to alter the stiffness of the structure. So the stiffness of your tendon's ligaments is, is down to how much collagen you have, what direction the collagen is going, and how cross-linked the collagen is. And so when you have a ligament, what a ligament's job is to do is to keep a joint from being lax. So it's to keep a joint really sturdy. And so the stiffer your ligaments are, the better, because you don't want movement within the joint. An example is if we increase the laxity of the of the knee joint so that there's 1.3 millimeters of extra give in the ACL, we have a fourfold increase in the rate of ACL rupture. So anything that's going to give us small changes in ligament stiffness or laxity of the joint is going to be bad. And so a ligament, we want it to be as stiff as possible. And that's because it's going to connect two bones together and the two bones are going to be super stiff. If we look at a tendon, the real difference between a tendon and a ligament is, is its uh, very basic property. A tendon is attaching a muscle to a bone. And so that means on one end, it's attaching something very compliant or stretchy. And on the other end, it's got something stiff. And if you were to give an engineer a job of attaching something that's really stretchy to something that's really stiff and hard, they would have night sweats because <laughs> this is the exact thing that is the most difficult thing to do as far as engineering that structure. And so the tendon is a unique um, a, a unique tissue in the fact that on one end it's stretchy and on the other end it's stiff. And so it's a variable mechanical tissue. That means that the stiffer your tendon is not always the best option. Whereas in the stiffer the ligament, the best option, always stiffer. Stiffness is better. Tendon, it's a little bit different because it has to connect that that compliant muscle. If it's too stiff, if it's stiffer than the muscle is strong, that's when we get non-contact muscle pulls. All right. So we can see the difference and the importance of this stiffness property if we just compare female athletes to male athletes. Because we said that 
as stiff as possible is great for the ligament. Well, we know that women playing the same sport have a four to eight times higher rate of ACL rupture. That's telling us something about the laxity of the, of the ligaments, that they're less stiff than the men. But they also have 80% fewer non-contact muscle pulls. So what that's telling us is that when the stiffness is low, we get ACL ruptures. When the stiffness is, is low, we get fewer muscle pulls. In contrast, when the stiffness is high, fewer ACL, fewer ligament problems, and more muscle pulls. And obviously, as a strength or a performance person or a manager, you want to have muscle pulls over ACLs every day. But at the same time, you, don't, you also want to try and eliminate those muscle pulls as much as you can. And that's where the, that's where the intricacies of, of tendon, ligament, and, and this muscle-tendon unit science really take off. Because to train such that you've got stiff tissues for your ligaments, but you can modulate the tendon stiffness by using your exercise, that's really where we get all of the... You're, that's where you're making your living if you're a performance or a strength coach. I'll make, make sure I would give you time for drink your tea as well, Keith. Um, but we'll come on. We'll come on to the training and the tendon in a second. But I just want to kind of go a bit, a little bit deeper on the, well, the basics really. Um, so the role of the tendon in in dynamic performance, such as sprinting and jumping, something that's discussed probably daily, um, wherever in your in your life as well as um, sports performance experts as well. So would you give us a bit of a, a bit of an overview of that too? Absolutely. So so the way that this goes is is that my so my definition of a tendon is it's something that's there to protect a muscle from injury from from the standpoint of a performance person it's there to transmit force as quickly as possible okay so so the stiffer a tendon is the faster i can transmit the force being produced by the muscle to the bone and that's going to increase performance so really what i want to do with my tendons for performance is i want to have them as stiff as possible and the reason for that is that if you take, if you think of a weight on your desk and you attach a, a rubber band or elastic band or a stretchy band and you pull on the stretchy band, what's going to happen is it's going to stretch and the weight's not going to move. And that's really what would happen if you have hyperlaxity. If you have really stretchy tendons, you pull on that, you pull on that tendon and the bone, which is our weight on our desk, doesn't move. If you now switch that to a to a rope that's a braided, uh, that's a braided material. As you pull on it, it's still going to stretch a little bit, but because it's a lot stiffer than the stretchy band, now as you pull on it, it stretches a little bit and then the weight moves. But if I instead have a, a steel rod there, as soon as I pull on the steel rod, now that, now that bone or that, that weight on my desk is going to move immediately. That's basically what we talk about when we talk about rate of force development. When we talk about rate of force development, what we're saying is how quickly can we get from the message from your brain to the contraction of the muscle to the movement of the bone. And that last bit, the contraction of the muscle to the movement of the bone, that's where your tendon stiffness comes in. If you want to perform at your best, ideally you want that tendon to be as stiff as possible. But again, the way that you do that is you're going to increase stiffness and then the stiffness of the muscle, sorry, the stiffness of the tendon, if it gets stiffer than the muscle is strong, now what you're going to do is you're going to have muscle injury. So this is where we're trying to balance these two things out. We're trying to balance the performance side where the higher the stiffness, the better for performance with the potential for injury side, which is the higher, the if my tendon is stiffer than my muscle is strong, I'm going to, I'm going to get a non-contact muscle pull. 
And so that's really where, you know, again, that's really where our performance people, are, our performance scientists are, are, are earning their, their money. So how do we know as sports performance practitioners, if, it, if we're getting that balance right, obviously before we get the injury, ideally? So again, what, what you would do is if you're at a max performance sport, like you're a track and field and you can do everything where you're, you just have to be your best for, you know, for that one event, then what you do is you practice that. And that means in a non-world championship, non, non-Olympic championship year, you actually push yourself to the point where you get a non-con, non-contact muscle pull. Because that, what that's done is that's told you, okay, in this individual, what is my ratio of fast movements to slow movements or heavy movements that is going to optimize their performance? And then where am I going to get to that point where if I pushed it too far, I'm going to get a pull. Now, once I know that, now I can go back and I can program knowing that in the past, this is where we've been. So now what I can do is that once we get up towards that level, now I can manipulate training to keep us as close to that without over without overcoming that. In a situation like uh, team sport, where you've got a whole bunch of people, what you're going to find is that's going to be extraordinarily difficult because each individual has a different set point. And so if you've got a, diff- a whole team, first of all, they don't have all the tra- same training load because everybody is going to have positional differences. Second of all, they've got different genetics, which makes them either more prone or less prone to injury. And so what you've got is you've got to, real, you've got to really break it down to individualize the, the training and the performance-based work for each individual athlete, if possible. Mm-hmm. And then what, I was actually speaking to Alex Natera on, in the build-up to, um, to, to me speaking to you here today. And one thing that he brought up was it was a question which I'm sure he'll get probably again all the time. But how stiff is is stiff enough? And I'd like to get your your thoughts on that as well. Again, it, this comes down to what is your what's your performance. So if you're if you're in rugby union and you're one of the big guys and you're just have to be in there and you have to absorb a lot of force and you have to be able to to you know exert and absorb force you don't need to be extraordinarily stiff. And those people are going to be what you would say is as you know, I like to talk to, to manual therapists, physical therapists, athletic therapists who are hands on. They'll tell you that there's two types of athletes. There's the muscular athlete and then there's the stiff athlete. And, and just by touching them, they can they know what type of athlete if you've got the big the big, huge guys. So in, in American football, it's the linemen. So they're big, huge linemen. These 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 guys are, you know, for us, it's like six, six. Um, you know, about 110, 120 kilos. So they're, they're big. And what they're doing is they're absorbing force. I don't need much stiffness in that athlete. I need stiffness for the people who are going to have high end speed, have to jump super high, any of these ballistic movement performances, that's where I need stiffness. And in that situation, what you want is you want the stiffness that's necessary to perform the movement, but no more. It's just like flexibility. I don't want somebody to be so flexible that they're now hyperlax and they're going to increase the risk for injury again. So injury rate and stiffness is a U-shaped curve. So if you are very unflexible, there's a high injury rate. If you are very, very flexible, there's a high injury rate. And in between, you're going to get into this kind of shallow area where yeah, you're at the optimal flexibility, you're at the optimal stiffness, your injury rate is relatively low, your performance is relatively high. 
how do I have a quantitative way to say this is it? What I would do, the best thing that we have found so far is to use stuff like um, like counter movement jumps or other things and look at the slopes of the eccentric um, of the eccentric impulse. So this is the rate of force development eccentrically. And if you're going down and up and you can look and you're seeing big changes in that slope, what that's telling you is that like if you're increasing the slope, that means you're getting stiffer. And as you get stiffer, you're going to find that you're going to get to a point where you're going to get a, a non-contact muscle pull. That for you is now going to tell you where you should be. Again, what we don't have yet in elite athletics or especially in non-elite athletics is any type of quantitative measures that say, here's us tracking it over time. Oh, look, we picked up an, you, you picked up an injury when you got to this point. This other athlete picked up an injury when they got even less of a slope change. So that means you're more resilient. You can do more high stiffness work. This person's less resilient. You can do less. So what we do is we use injury history a lot of times. And when I get an athlete who's got an injury history that's very long, that's got lots of non-contact muscle pulls, now what that's going to do is that's going to train, that's going to change how I'm going to train them. Because I don't want you to be the fastest player on the team and play two, two matches over a season. I want you to be the, the top five fastest players on the team and play every match in the season. And so, so that's where I'm going to shift the way that I'm going to train to try and maximize or optimize your performance. Again, I'm giving you a break for your tea. Got to be drinking. <laughs> so in terms of individual differences, is, the, is, the, is it a huge, uh, is it a huge range? Oh yeah. There's okay. a massive range. Okay. So, and you know that just by, just by you've had experience with athletic team. Mm -hmm. So either, either a rugby team, a, a track and field team, you've got a soccer team. There's going to be those two or three guys who've pulled their muscle every year. They, it's like, Oh my God. Yep. They, he yawned, he pulled a muscle, you know, <laughs> it's that kind of every time. And then there's going to be people who they're a little bit slower they actually can accelerate a little bit better. So they're, they're better to decelerate, accelerate, but they're really bad at their high end speed. Those people tend to be more resilient as far as these non-contact muscle pulls. The people who are the fastest people at the top end speed, those are the ones, and they have a really hard time slowing down and speeding up because their muscle, again, what we're looking at there is the muscle is gonna overcome inertia. So your acceleration, deceleration, that's your muscle base. So, and then your connective tissue is going to allow you to continue and to move at, at a high, at as high a speed as possible. So if you're really good at high end speed, but not so good at acceleration, deceleration, that's going to tell me that you're going to be much more likely to get a, a non-contact muscle pull. If you're really good at acceleration, deceleration, I'm going to guess that you've not had a lot of, a lot of non-contact muscle pulls. And again, that's just, that goes with it. But then you, you, you put on top of that, George McConey's done some, did some beautiful work almost, uh, like almost 15 years ago. And he identified two genes, but it's now expanded to more like seven or eight genes that predispose individuals for, for, um, tendinopathies and other, and other matrix based problems. So he had discovered that collagen five was associated with, there's a mute, there's a, there's a change in the collagen five sequence. And when you have that collagen five um, uh, sequence change, you're much more likely to suffer an injury than somebody who doesn't. 
Um, it's the same thing for a gene called tenacin C. So there's a number of different genes that are that actually predispose an athlete for in for matrix-based injuries. So that's tendon and ligament injuries. And if you have those, they're probably also going to predispose you for some of these non-contact muscle pulls, because what it's going to do is it's going to change the stiffness of the matrix. But it's also going to make you really good at performance. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pace Performance Bite Size. So if you want to get more of the episode with Keith Barr, it is episode number 348, and you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and big thanks to Rock Daisy. Make sure you check them out, AMS Lite, and I'll speak to you next week.